0: Well, good morning, Story. It's so good to be with you today. My name is John Hopper, and I guess in some ways, i sort of the end of the summer of love. Oh. Now, that, that might excite you. That might you know, disappoint you. I don't know what that means for the fall. What's the, the fall of what, right? So but, uh, it's good to be with you today. I, I attend this church, but uh, from day to day, I work for a ministry called Search Ministries. There is a search in Houston that helps the homeless, and I'm sure they do great work, but it's not the search that I'm a part of. The search ministries that I'm a part of has a nationwide footprint, and they are about helping people discover and follow Jesus. And as we put together gatherings and events, we really want... People to have space to ask their questions, to express their doubts, their anxieties, their reasons why they're keeping God at a distance, which in many ways is what the story does. And so our missions really go together well. And so it's great to be able to share with you this morning. Well, last year, I was invited by a church in the Memorial area to share on three different Wednesday nights. I had recently come out with a book called Questioning God, which answers a lot of the common questions people have about Christianity, God, the Bible. And so this church wanted to bring me in to do this Q&A, this open Q&A. The hosts would ask me a bunch of questions, and then they would open it up to the audience to ask questions as well. Now, most of the people that were there were a part of that church community. But there was one fellow by the name of Adam who was not a part of the church community. In fact, I don't even know how he heard of, of this event. But he showed up, and every single night when it was open Q&A time, he would ask questions, good questions, and then he would stay afterwards to ask me more questions. And I love it when people do that. And so I, I asked Adam if he would be willing to do lunch sometime, and so we did lunch together and, and got to know him a little bit better, but he'd ask me more questions, and we'd do another lunch. He'd ask me more, and the intensity of the questions just went up, and there was an angst there. There was an anxiety there. It's like, I've got to figure this out, but he couldn't figure it out. For every question that we would talk about, he'd sort of bring up more questions. It was like he was spinning around in this rabbit hole. And then we met a few weeks ago, met at this restaurant, and the moment I saw him, I was like, his countenance is different. So we ordered our food, and then the food came. And if, you know, if I'm meeting with someone who's, who's not a Christian, I'm not going to pray at the, the, the table in a public setting. So I just picked up my fork to start eating. He said, aren't we going to pray? I said, well, sure. So I said a short prayer. And then soon after that, he, he said to me, he said, I want you to know something. I finished reading your book, which led me to another book that a friend had given me, which led me to another book that a friend had given me, and I've decided that God is real, that Jesus has died for our sins, and i place placing my trust in that. He began to tell me how he was telling other people as well. It's beautiful to see. You could just see it on his face, where there was such angst and concern, and uh, there was now a great peace there. So guess what I came home and told my wife about that night? told her about Adam, of course, right? I mean, to be able to see that sort of transition, she knew about the previous lunches, and then to suddenly see this huge change, I mean, how could I not tell her about that, right? I mean, in many ways, people like Adam are the reason why I do what I do. And whys are hugely important, aren't they? I mean, if you're part of some sort of committee or board, whether it's at work or whether it's in your neighborhood or whether it's at school, and, and, and you're there and somebody comes in to make this big presentation, here, here's what you know uh, we should do right here, and they sort of lay out the plan and the, all the steps to get there. And then maybe someone at the back of the room or at the, sort of the side of the conference table sort of sheepishly raises their hand. Maybe you've been one of these people and said, now this all looks really impressive, but just why are we doing this? Because whys are really important, right? Because my, whys really sustain our motivation, particularly when things are hard or if, we've sort of, if there's a, a sort of a big cost or outlay to it. We need to know the why. So it's my privilege and joy to be about telling other people about Jesus. And maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you've been told that, hey, you should tell other people about Jesus. But I think it's really important that we understand the why. Why is it important for us to tell other people about Jesus? Why even bother, right? So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you several reasons as to why you should bother telling other people about Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, hopefully this will motivate you, sustain you in some ways. If you're not a Christian this morning, that's all right. Now you'll know why people are bugging you about Jesus, right? So so here are some reasons why... Um, we should bother telling other people about Jesus. First, I think we should bother because Jesus bothered. Jesus bothered telling other people about who he was. So one of my favorite stories is out of John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, at the beginning of it, we see that Jesus is in Judea. Now, Judea is in the southern part of, of Israel, and it's where Jerusalem lies, And we're told there in verse 3 that Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And he went back to Galilee because that's where he lived. He lived in Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So he's traveling back home. Now, in between Judea and Galilee is a region known as Samaria. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you know that the Samaritans weren't exactly the Jews' favorite. In fact, they hated the Samaritans. In many ways, the Samaritans were syncretists. They they believed in God a little bit. They believed in other things and other philosophies and other gods through the the, the centuries. And, And they didn't worship God in Jerusalem. They worshiped God elsewhere. And so the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. They were despicable. And so most Jews, most upright Jews, and certainly a righteous rabbi, would travel around Samaria, Rather than go through it, even though that was the easiest way in terms of getting from Judea to Galilee, they would go around it. And yet, what we see in verse 4 is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to physically, he could have gone around it, but if he was going to tell other people about who he was and the Samaritans didn't know, then he was going to have to go through Samaria, that place that other people would avoid. He was going to bother himself in that way. And if you read through the rest of John chapter 4, you see that Jesus, he, he met a woman there. It's the first person that he met as he's going through Samaria. And she's a woman with quite a background. Married five times before. She's living with the sixth man. But he has this great conversation with her in which he declares that he is the Messiah. And she goes back to her town and tells people that. And they run out. And, 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 and they just want to hear from this Jesus too. And eventually, many of them begin to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus bothered himself by going and telling other people who he was there's another incident that's kind of similar to that we find it in Luke chapter 19 and in Luke chapter 19 Jesus is in Jericho and in Jericho there happens to be this tax collector now Jews hated Samaritans but they may have hated tax collectors even more Because tax collectors were essentially Jewish people that were working for the Roman government, taking taxes from the Jewish people and often skimming some money off the top and putting it in their own pockets, right? So they did not like tax collectors. And there's this man in Jericho who's a chief tax collector. So he's like at the top of the pyramid scheme, right? So he's particularly hated. Now we're told that this man's name is Zacchaeus and he's really short. And he'd heard that Jesus was in town, so the only way that he was going to see Jesus amidst this crowd was to climb up in a tree, and so he does. Eventually, though, Jesus comes walking by that tree. And what we see in verses 5 and 6 there, that when Jesus reaches the spot where Zacchaeus is, (laughs) Jesus says this. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He didn't have to stay at Zacchaeus' house. In fact, again, any upright Jew in Jesus' day would have stayed away from Zacchaeus' house. When we were to read on, we would see that the people are aghast. Like, he's going to stay at Zacchaeus' house? Because not only was Zacchaeus despicable in the eyes of the Jews, but the only friends that Zacchaeus would have would be other despicable people. And so Jesus was going to be in this house with these people who were declared sinners, and yet Jesus says, I must come to your house. I must bother myself in that way, to tell you who I am. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus said. It's not recorded for us, but we do know the response, and the response was tremendous. Zacchaeus says, you know what? In light of what I've heard, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and anybody I've taken money from, I'm going to pay him back four times what I stole. This man had a complete change of heart. And so we see Jesus say this. In response, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man, Zacchaeus, Two is the son of Abraham. He's the son of the promise. He is a part of the kingdom of God. (laughs) Incredible. This man, Zacchaeus. Now notice this in verse 10. Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus gives us his purpose statement there. This is what Jesus was about. He had to go to Zacchaeus. He had to go through Samaria. He was going to live out his purpose to seek and save the lost. Jesus was bothering himself all of the time to tell other people about who he is. So the first reason we should tell other people about Jesus is because Jesus himself bothered himself in that way. Second reason. Second reason we should bother telling other people about Jesus is because Jesus has called us. To be about that. So he didn't just do it himself. He called us to do it as well. So one of the passages that helps us see this, sort of the scenes, really, is when Jesus was interacting with his disciples. We see the things that he's said to them, and that lets us know that he, was, he is calling us into that as well. When Jesus first met his disciples, what he told them was that he wanted them to become fishers of men. Fishers of people, men and women. So the first disciples that Jesus meets are Peter and Andrew. And they're fishing. and They're not doing so well. So Jesus gives them instructions. And suddenly there's all these fish in their boat. But Jesus says, I haven't come to make you great fishermen for fish. It's not really why I'm here. Okay? You might like that, might sort of, you know, bring some money into your household, but that's not why I'm here. Why I'm here and why I want you to follow me is because I want to make you fishers of people. I want you to be about telling other people about who I am. So Jesus sets out at the very beginning of his relationship with them what he wants them to be about. Now, if we go to the end, really, of Jesus' sort of earthly time with his disciples, if we go to Matthew 28, we see there Jesus says something very similar. So Jesus said some words at the beginning of his ministry with them, I want you to be fishers of men. And at the end, he, he echoes that by saying in Matthew 28, I want you to go and make disciples. <laughs> That's what I want you to be about. So he bookends his time with his disciples. From the start, you're going to be fishers of people. At the end, go and make disciples. This is what Jesus wanted them to be about. This was his calling for them. Now, some people will say, well, um, that was Jesus' calling for the disciples. Not really for us. I mean, if we do that, that's okay, but it's not really for us. But if we look more carefully at that Matthew 28 passage, we see that that isn't the case. Because if we read further there in Matthew 28, we see that Jesus doesn't just say to go and make disciples. He says that those disciples, when they go and make disciples, are to teach those who become disciples to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them. What has Jesus commanded them? He's commanded them to go and make disciples. And when they make disciples, those who follow Jesus... There to teach them to obey that calling, to go and make disciples. And so, through the ages, right, there have been people who have told other people about Jesus, and then those people living up to the calling and obeying Jesus' teaching have told other people about Jesus, made disciples, and then who told other people so that if you know about Jesus today, it's because people have lived up to this calling. The second reason why we should bother telling people about Jesus is because Jesus has called us to bother in that way. In fact, if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that we have been given a title even. A title. We're called ambassadors. We're called ministers of reconciliation. as God, As if God was making his appeal through us. If you get a new title at work or something like that, there's probably some ways that you have to act differently because with that title comes a a certain set of responsibilities, right? Jesus has given every believer this title of ambassador, minister of reconciliation. So with that title, we have a responsibility to tell other people about Jesus, Third reason, third reason we should bother telling people about Jesus is because people are in trouble. People are in trouble. Now, my conversations with people, people who are all across the spectrum in terms of faith or belief in God, most people would say, if there is a God, they'll be okay. They'll be okay because they're, they're a good person. At least they've had good intentions. That's, that's their sort of summary of themselves. They might say, I'm not perfect. I'm not an A player. Maybe I'm a B. Maybe I'm a C. But I'm okay. If there is a God, I'm going to make it all right. And if you believe in Jesus, they say, that's, that's okay for you. It's kind of like if you like red and I like blue. But that's really not what matters. What matters is if you're good or not. But Jesus didn't see it that way. In fact, if we look. To John chapter 8, we see Jesus say these words. He said, you are from below and I am from above. (laughs) Like I know how things really are. I know how it works with God. (laughs) He says, you are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. Jesus is saying that to this crowd here, and this crowd involves some people who really saw themselves as righteous and good. Jesus says, No, 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 let me tell you how it really is, how God sees things. You're in trouble. You're gonna die in your sins. And then he he goes on and he says, If you do not believe that I am He, that is the Messiah, the one God has sent to save you, you will indeed die in your sins. We're in trouble we're not good. We're not an A, B, or C. We're like all F. We're in trouble. We need Jesus. That's the reason why we need to tell other people about Jesus. If we look to John chapter 3, it's a familiar passage for, for many of us, particularly John 3.16, might be the most famous book in the Bible, or famous verse in the Bible. And we see Jesus say these words, her these words spoken about Jesus at least. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That sounds good, right? Eternal life with Jesus. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In some ways you could say, well, man, that verse says that kind of we're all good because Jesus has come to save us. He's come to save the world. We're all, we're all good. But I want you to See how it continues. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Do you see what our default position is? Our default position is that who we are relative to God is worthy of judgment, really. We're all in trouble. And so the reason that we ought to tell people about Jesus is because they're in trouble. Things aren't all well and good. Jesus illustrates this even more in the verses prior to this in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He uses a little illustration. He says, so just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Now, this illustration here only makes sense if you know something about the story of Moses and the snake in the desert which occurs in the book of Numbers in chapter 21. The Israelites at that point were grumbling against God. They didn't like anything that God told them to do. So God's like, you know, I got to teach these people a lesson. So he sends venomous snakes and they start biting the people. And some of them start to die. And so they say to Moses, Moses, we have sinned. We've grumbled against God. You know, talk to God for us. And so Moses talks to God and God says, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to take a bronze pole and I want you to fashion around it a bronze snake, and I want you to post that in the community such so as if anybody is bitten by a snake, if they look at that pole, they will be saved. No matter how good they might think they are, they're only going to be saved if they look at that pole. You might say, that's kind of weird. But it was all a setup for Jesus when he would come later because Jesus would say, just as Moses was lifted up, hmm, the snake in the de- lifted up the snake in the desert, So the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, must be lifted up on a cross because it's just as people who were in trouble then wouldn't live unless they looked at that cross, so too today people who are in trouble, which is all of us, will not be saved unless we look at who Jesus is. Jesus made it clear we're in trouble. And so one of the reasons we ought to tell people about Jesus and bother with that is because people are in trouble. Number four, we should bother because Jesus changes lives. We should bother because Jesus changes lives. So I hope that you're a regular list, listeners to the Maybe God podcast. I haven't listened to all of the episodes, but I really enjoy them. I particularly enjoy those episodes where there's an interview of a, a single person. And, and we get to kind of see how sort of God has worked in their lives. So here are some recent ones. Um, perhaps you've listened to some of them. But to me, there's just incredible examples of God changing people's lives. So one of the recent podcasts was of Andrew Clevin, the secular Jew. He's a crime novelist and screenwriter. Very, very successful in that world. Um, but he was angry and depressed so much that it was breaking apart his family and his marriage. And then Jesus gets a hold of him, and everything begins to change. And that anger and that depression begins to go away. He sees the life of Christ in him, working in him, and everything, his whole picture on life changes, and now he's even writing books that have to do with Jesus. His life has changed. (laughs) How about Nancy Piercy? Nancy Piercy, by her teenage years, had uh, concluded that God wasn't real all there was was sort of matter and energy in, in the universe. There was no God at all. She was part of the hippie generation. She experimented with drugs and sex and everything that do, went with that, that culture. She began to travel, and she ended up in Switzerland, where she found a group there that wrestles deeply with questions about God and Christianity, and then everything changed for her. She's now been uh, identified by many people as the, the greatest female uh, intellectual Christian of our day. She's read, written some really amazing books. God changes people's lives. Or Martin Shaw. Martin Shaw's story really captivates me because he's so unlike me. He's a mythologist and storyteller. <laughs> and uh, and he, I mean, he's got a PhD in that, and he, he's developed these course. He lives in the woods a lot of the times to sort of get his stories. He is just so unlike me, okay? And for years, he didn't have anything to do with Jesus at all. He knew about Jesus' story, but he he just kind of left it on the shelf, he said. And then Jesus reveals himself to, to Martin, and everything changes. His whole outlook on stories and what the grand story really is of all of life. And now he, too, is beginning to write stories about Jesus. It's beautiful. Or David Bennett, he's spoken here on Sunday mornings. You'll find him in the Maybe God podcast as well, a gay activist who's angry at any Christians. And now he's helping churches understand how to love uh, gay people and how, and he's sort of ministering to those with same-sex attraction as well. It's a beautiful story there. Or how about your own pastor? Eric Huffman, right? You've heard stories of how God has changed his life. I don't know if you've ever listened to a recording there's one uh, Maybe God podcast, I think, where Eric gives a little recording of how he used to preach before he came to know Jesus. Kind of odd, right? Like, there's this guy preaching, and he doesn't really know Jesus. But that was the case for Eric. And he doesn't even sound the same as today. He's a, an angry man. Really. And then he goes to Israel, <laughs> and by chance in some ways. And he sees that Jesus was real, that he was a real person that lived in a real space in real time. And it's all true. And he comes back completely changed. And that's how the story gets birthed. It's because Jesus changed his lives. And so we ought to tell other people about Jesus. <laughs> hmm. There's one other story I want to tell you. It's a story of a girl named Anne, And Anne um, grew up in a broken family. Uh, Here in Houston, um, father left for other lovers. It was very difficult. She uh, um, never heard about God or Jesus or the Bible at all growing up. Family never went to church. Trying to find her own way, she fell in love with a game of tennis. Gave her some sort of purpose, some meaning. She became rather good at it. She was one of the best players in the United States. As a junior player, she began to represent the United States around the world. She went to college her first year, All-American, singles and doubles, one of the top ten players in the United States, but totally miserable. She figures, well, it must be the school that I'm at, so she changes schools. (laughs) And there she meets a woman. In fact, it was her assistant coach who tells her about Jesus. And everything changes her completely. She has a whole different view on life and on tennis, and she meets a young man. They get married right out of school. They have four children that all follow Jesus today. That's my wife. And the fourth of our children, Corey, who's sung here sometimes at different times and done different things with the story, she's she's now doing ministry and college stations to college women. She had to raise support for that. And as she talked with other people about supporting her, she said, you know, one of the reasons why I want to do this is because there was a woman who shared with my mother when she was in college. And because that woman shared with my mother and turned her life, I'm here today. I probably wouldn't even be here today if that woman hadn't done that. And, it, and even if, if, if I was here today, I probably wouldn't be following Jesus, I've seen Jesus change my mother's life and change our family's life. And I want other women in college to know that too. See, one of the reasons we should bother telling people about Jesus is because Jesus changes lives and families and generations as well. Number five, we should bother telling people about Jesus because no one is too lost to be saved. No one's too lost to be saved. So when I was a young teenage boy, I was invited to this um, gathering. I grew up in central California. Gathering's at the Fresno Convention Center. It's probably a convention center you've been to as well, right? So Fresno Convention Center, there's this man by the name of Nikki Cruz who is speaking. And this is Nikki Cruz's story. I can't forget it, even though I heard it maybe when I was 12 or 13 years old. Nicky grew up in Puerto Rico and he was a part of a large family that was all into witchcraft. In fact, his mother called him the son of Satan. His father would beat him horrendously, and he became a violent young man, so much so that the family sent him off to New York to really live on the streets. Within a few short months, he, he joins the Mau Mau gang, who was notorious for their violence, and in just a few months after that, he becomes their warlord. He's a vicious young man. And he finds himself in jail many times. And the uh, court-appointed psychiatrist said, this boy is destined to the electric chair and to hell. But there was a man by the name of David Wilkerson. He was a country preacher who moved to New York, and he had a heart for the gang members. And he'd see them walking on the street, and he would go up to them, and he'd begin to tell them about Jesus. And when he went up to, to Nikki to tell him about Jesus and he'd do it at different times, Nicky just got, he, he couldn't stand it. Like, why are you doing this to me? And he pulls out his switchblade to sort of keep uh, David Wilkerson at, at bay. <laughs> he says, you know, shut up. Don't tell me this anymore. David Wilkerson's response was, you can cut me into a thousand pieces and every piece will say, I love you. And soon after that, David Wilkerson invites him to church. And he and his whole gang come to church. They don't really know why, but the warlord said, We're going. So they went. (laughs) And Nikki there meets Jesus. He said it was like I had heart surgery. It was like Jesus cut open my chest and took out my heart and put on a whole new heart. And since that time, he's he's an old man now. He's still going into jails and he's meeting with gangs on the street and telling them about Jesus. No one is too lost to be saved. The court-ordered psychiatrist was wrong about Nicky because he didn't know of the transforming work of Jesus Christ. There's a great story that I love in the Old Testament. It's a story of the name of a man named Manasseh. He's a king. He's in the 7th century BC. His father, Hezekiah, was a pretty good king, followed the ways of the Lord. But when his father dies, Manasseh is only 12 years old, he becomes king. He decides, I'm going to go a totally different direction than my dad. And he begins to worship the Canaanite gods and the starry hosts as well, scripture says. And beyond that, he was into witchcraft and divination and sorcery, and he even sacrificed children to his gods. God finally said, wait, that's that's enough. I'm not going to allow you to do that anymore. And so he had the king of Assyria come in and attack the city of Jerusalem where Manasseh was, and the king of Assyria put a ring in Manasseh's nose and carried him off like uh, cattle to Assyria. But in his distress, we're told in verse 12, of 2 Chronicles 33, it says, in his distress, at his Manasseh's distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he, that's God, brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. No one is too lost to be saved. In fact, if we read on in verse 15, it says that Manasseh got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem. Altars where he would worship to these foreign gods and to the starry host, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it to the true God. And he told you to serve the Lord. If anybody would have known Manasseh, Manasseh was a king for over five decades. They would have said, this man cannot be saved. He'll never be made right with God. It's not true. No one is too lost to be saved. So you may have canceled people out already that this friend or this um, person at work or this family member, they're just too far gone. It isn't true. And that's why we should bother to tell people about Jesus. Sixth and finally, we should bother telling people about Jesus because Jesus is the greatest, most wonderful, most beautiful, genuine person anyone could ever know. There's a lot of people who have just picked up the Bible, maybe in a hotel or somewhere else. They've heard from no preacher or anyone else, and they've just begun to read through the Gospels, the stories the biographies of Jesus. And they're so taken with the man. He's like, no out of the character. And if we read through those gospels, we see that Jesus, he's gentle, He's humble, he's servant-minded. He's laying down his life for people. He's self-sacrificing. He's clearly after other people's self-interests and not his own. He's truthful, even when to tell the truth is difficult, right? He's unafraid. He stands up to the rulers of his day. He's patient. He's incredibly wise, on the spot, able to answer people's questions that they thought were unanswerable, but Jesus can answer them. He's caring. He's forgiving. He's no respecter of persons we see in the Gospels. He will talk to kings, and he will talk to paupers. (laughs) It didn't matter to Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. He's beautiful. If you look in the book of Revelation, you'll see that there's dozens of names given to Jesus. He's the rider on the white horse. He's the bright morning star. He's faithful and true. This is our God. You know, there might be some friends that you have, friends that you've kind of stuck with, but you know they're kind of rude and crude. And so you don't really sort of let him out of the box towards your other friends. You don't, you're really sort of embarrassed to bring him around. But that's not the case with Jesus. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. So we should tell other people about him so that they can get to know him too. So this picture is coming up here. It's of my, my brother and his wife, Laura. My brother died two years ago of cancer. He battled with it for six years. He'd been married for 34 years. So as you can imagine, for a sister-in-law, Laura, it's, uh, it's just an incredible hit, right? So when my brother was dying, and then a the couple weeks afterwards, her sons came into town to be with her and to stay in the home, which is great. They ministered to her in a beautiful way. But eventually, right, they have to go back to their own homes, so there was a first night that she would have to be alone. And so on that first night, as it's coming in the afternoon, she texts my wife, and she says, well, tonight is the first night where it's just me and Jesus alone. She does say I'm alone. It's just me and Jesus alone. And she said that only because she has learned the beautifulness of Jesus his sweetness, his comfort, his peace. So she wasn't going to be alone. She was going to be with Jesus. And she knew that her husband that she loved, my brother, that he too would be with beautiful, wonderful Jesus. And so she did not completely dread that first night. She could embrace it because Jesus would be with her. In Jesus, we have someone wonderful. So we ought to tell others about him. So a number of reasons there as to why we should tell other people about Jesus. There are other reasons as well, other good reasons. But I hope that these will motivate you and sustain you in telling other people about Jesus. He is wonderful. People are in trouble. Jesus has given us a calling. to go. And make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your mission towards us. That you bothered with us. That you are willing to come out of the sort of the confines of heaven, and uh, um, come down to this mess that we have made, and tell us about yourself, and to offer yourself that we might be made right with you, Lord. Lord, you are wonderful. You are sweet. You are incredible, Lord, in every way. So, Lord, move us to tell others about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.